You're listening to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast with Nola Heal. Nola has over 30 years of experience in financial and operations management for companies around the world. As a part-time CFO, she's dedicated to working with businesses of all sizes to create sustainable growth and amplify strategy. Ivan Bebek is a veteran mining entrepreneur and formerly the president, CEO, and co-founder of Caden Resources, which sold for $205 million in 2014. Today, he's the chair and director of Fury Gold Mines, president and CEO of Sombrero Resources, and chair and director of Tier 1 Silver. Welcome, Ivan. Thank you for joining me today. You're an entrepreneur in exploration. Two successes so far in Keegan Resources, which is now called Galliano Gold, and is a producer, and Caden Resources, which you sold to Agnico Eagle in, I believe, 2014 for just over 200 million. Can you perhaps start us off with a bit of background? What got you started and brought you to mining? Sure. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I started my career back in, in 1999 at the bottom of the resource market. I read a Warren Buffett book about being a contrarian and I became a stockbroker in 2000 during the dot-com peak. I had a hard time understanding the future value of so many tech companies that we were seeing ridiculous price movements in and valuations. So I went to my learnings of being a contrarian to figure out which sector was the most undervalued at the time and which one would I understand most for clients. And, and that's what pointed me towards the mining market and several companies that were trading under a dollar in the penny stock range, 70 cents, 80 cents, they went to 22 or $30 per share over time. Um, I quickly learned that being a broker, investing and in trying to follow you know, the progress of several companies for several people was a lot less rewarding and more time consuming than focusing on one or two companies and trying to build out a successful you know, exploration company or business where you could go find a mine. In 2005, I met a gentleman by the name of Sean Wallace, my business partner, and we decided both coming from very established mining camps that did this many times before to go try and do it on our own. And we wanted to go find a mine, a gold mine, big enough to be called a world-class gold mine, which is measured by 5 million ounces of gold or more. And we did that in Ghana, West Africa. And so finding a gold mine is like winning the lottery, you know, in a sense, yes. you know, once you drill that hole, you just, it, it starts to vet investment starts to grow from that point forward. Um, we did a very good job. The stock went from 50 cents to $9 per share. That was the first kind of, you know, huge win we had for investors. Nice. And I like finding it more than I like building it. So I'm an explorer and the reward on investment in our business is the number one is off finding something new. So I spearheaded the next company as Sean led that first company to become a producing gold mine. Um, and we found, started to find a mine in Mexico and due to the market and the ability or inability to find mines in very good geopolitical areas that could actually be built, there's a big shortage. A lot of easy mines have been found. Um, we were able to sell 100 drill holes into the discovery of something for $200 million, which magnified into four or 500 because the company that bought us went up over double its its price afterwards, about 14 months later. 
Yeah, so it's it was an adventure to get here. Um, we started a company called Oren Resources, where Sean and I were both focused on it, and we led the world. I think we were top two or three with over a hundred million dollars in expenditures to find mines between 2015 and 2020. And we partnered with the former technical team, the geoscientists from Newmont, the largest gold company in the world, a series of world experts from their company had retired out of Newmont or left Newmont for their own reasons. And they've led our hunt to go find these huge mines. And after that hundred million, which is now 180 million has been spent, we have four companies that are all at the forefront of making these massive discoveries that we've gone after. Um, it has not been easy by any means, but it's highly opportunistic to be able to raise money, spend money in a market that's out of flavor, looking for investments that could flourish in an upcoming bull market that's going to be led by tremendous amounts of demand that's going to affect all of us and inflation that's going to affect all of us. So we are well positioned and the path has been long. I think I've been instrumental, you know, as a group and some other investments of raising almost a billion dollars as needed to go and find mines uh, around the world. And so far, we've got two great successes on the bell and experience and successes is why I'm here today. It's because I love what I do. I love the team that I work with and um, I love the opportunities in front of us more than it is about the remuneration you get from the investment working, although that's the ultimate report card that we fight vigorously to try and achieve with. Oh, so true. Yeah. I mean, it's that return to shareholders that at the end of the day keeps other people believing in you. So you mentioned that you're, you're involved with four companies at the moment. Which parts of the world are you drilling in or exploring in at least? Great question. Um, so one company, we split it into three to two other companies, so it's now three, and then the other company is the fourth company. Um, two companies are down in Peru, one company is in Chile, and then the other company is in Canada. And we are gold-focused in Canada, looking for some of the world's largest and richest gold mines. We are copper and gold-focused in Peru, and we're also very silver-focused, specifically with the company in Peru. And then in Chile, we are copper and gold focused. And why we chose Peru and Chile is because the largest mines in the world exist in those two countries. You get the largest Same. copper mine in the world. You have a 60 million ounce gold mine in Peru. Um, these are where the big ones occur. In Canada, we're in northern Canada, a place called Nunavut, where some of the largest gold mines found in the last two decades are occurring and they're being mined and operated. And we're also in Quebec, which I'd argue is one of the best geological addresses and also investment addresses for mining in the planet, or one of the top three anyway, next to Nevada. So from that, you know, it's a lot of experience here. We've gone through COVID. We've seen a lot of, you know, impacts socially in towns that are away from the cities. We've seen the different handlings and the impacts of how COVID has affected everything. But the one thing we haven't seen as an industry as a whole is we haven't seen many huge discoveries that are consequential to the demand that's coming for metals in the past mm. decade. And the reason for that, Nola, is everything easy has been found because of how much has been spent prior. And we're crashing into the perfect storm of demand. Um, when anybody hears about green energy, the, the new bill that's trying to be pushed through, 
uh, in the US or electric cars in a cleaner future, you are in massive shortage of base metals to the point where we're going to run out and prices are going to skyrocket over the next decade in base metals. On the gold side, you know, you're looking at the counterinflation investment. Um, we saw a little bit of a hat tip the other day with Evergrande out of China, the big mortgage company that just came public and is threatening to, to go under. And it shook the global markets. And it basically showed us that everything was vulnerable. Bitcoin went down, the Dow went down, all markets went down, and gold went up at that time, which is how gold should behave. Right. And as a gold investor, you know, I've I started this business as a gold bug. Now I'm a gold, copper, silver, anything world-class, meaning really big bug. But back to gold, I was starting to lose a little bit of faith in how important gold is in your portfolio, mm -hmm. how well it can perform counter hedging. And last year, gold hit its record high price of all time and stocks skyrocketed in value. But that's been quickly overshadowed with a 10-month hangover and other things like Bitcoin and the Dow doing well up until... Evergrande happened. And then I think Biden recently is talking about and is lobbying for this bill or the debt ceiling to be lifted. Uh, he's talking about a meteor potentially hitting the US economy, which is long overdue. Of course, he's blaming the other political party, the Republicans, of, of why. But at the same time, I, I think we're due for a very similar event to 2008. And I don't mean a real estate crash. I mean a debt financial crisis. Mm -hmm. I think we, we have grown with low interest rates for a very long period of time. I think most people have increased their debt ratio of how much money they're borrowing because the value of their investments or real estate has gone up. And I think there's a tremendous amount of exposure in a debt bubble that's, that's due to burst. I can't tell you when it's going to happen. I can tell you generally when you see these events take place, and this is the cause for them, you generally come back towards a resource market. Gold does exceptionally well on the backside of a financial crash or crisis, which generally is, is met with inflation. So for us, you know, our business plan is, is, is bigger than most in terms of what we're trying to find in a time when it's harder to find it, which means that if we get it right, we can offer that exponential return for investors that many people would thrive for in their investment accounts, but you're not seeing right now because they're harder to find and not many people are making them. And the market is more interested in the flavor of the last few years, which has been the stock market and, uh, and the cryptocurrency world. So true, truly exciting. I must admit, um, with you exploring through, through four different avenues, is the purpose in your company's exploration again, or are you looking to build any of the mines? So there's two different mindsets to find something and to build something. Mm -hmm. That's two, two entirely different teams do that. Um, the most rewarding part on an investment is finding it. And I'll, I'll go right. back to my first company. You would have bought us at 50 cents and you could have sold your shares at $9.17 per share. I believe that was about an 18x return on investment, right? If you go to our second company, you could have bought us as low as 70 cents a share before we were taken over and you would have got 360 per share. And then if you held our shares for another 14 months, you would have gotten 750 per share, which technically would be another 10x return on investment. The thing that's most appealing to us is that return on investment is we want that 10x 
20x or possibly the 30 40x return so finding things exploration is most certainly our path there now in terms of money and time we spent to get there with these four companies one of them has been public for 11 years and once we start these things we don't stop till it succeeds it's obviously at a higher price than when it first came public mm-hmm. but um you know that, that's one in uh, in Chile called Torque uh Torque is on the verge of finishing acquiring some substantial opportunities in Chile and is starting to drill one of its opportunities next week which would be the first week of October and so that lottery ticket return starts for Torque this quarter um tier 1 silver is our silver company it's in peru if you go to our website tier1silver.com and i will advertise a little bit here cuz it's exciting mm. you will see a short video where we described tier 1 silver as potentially the world's biggest silver discoverer in the past few decades and the evidence is by what we've sampled on surface we are now drilling it results are actually due in november onward we'll have a lot of results coming if we make the discovery where we're making it based on how big the impression is on surface it has a chance to truly be in the top 10 silver mines ever found and that's the kind of return we're going to look to generate with shareholders when potentially the the silver market turns over um pure gold mines in in canada is a gold focused company and this company here has is grossly undervalued it's had a very challenging 10 months cuz it came public at the start of the gold hangover from the rally gold had last summer we changed ceos in august due to a pivot from being partially a development company to your question about do we want to produce mm-hmm. to be much more exploration focused because we want to perform more than we want to produce for our shareholders right. and so the new the new direction of that company is more about finding it but we needed the last 10 months where we spent 12 million dollars in the ground exploring and drilling to figure out where is that discovery going to come from and the good news is coming here very shortly is there's about five different very serious opportunities that could give that kind of return that i referenced earlier um the last company is a company called sombrero resources and this company is not public yet it's um it's got a project that we've spent two and a half years pursuing with communities to get access so we can drill it and possibly explore it. Um this ranks as top 5 in the world opportunities for a big copper gold discovery. It's gotten interest from several other major mining companies. It just needs access so we can resume trading which will likely happen this quarter and put us being listed in in early of next year. But the whole reason why we did this besides wanting huge discoveries in 20x share prices to to refer to our business plan it was really to capitalize on the sale of Caden use that goodwill and that money and the team we built that's from major mining companies to go get the best real estate left that could possibly deliver those huge discoveries and so you know my partner and I are huge shareholders in each company and we treat everything that we do as shareholders meaning we only get paid you know properly we only make fortunes if the share price returns and so we just wanted to make sure the assets were there the team was there and then we had the roller coaster of the market to endure ups and downs but more downs than ups however on our way to a much much better market absolutely very exciting and certainly i mean as you mentioned earlier 
in the conversation, the demand for these minerals is promising to be absolutely enormous with the the pivot into greener options as well as over the years the growth in the population the the just the demands that are injected by the lifestyle now if i'm not mistaken you're um the ceo of sombrero are you equally involved in all the companies or what's the particular appeal of sombrero that you the ceo there so uh a great question it's it's very smart and i get asked it a lot um yes i work 18 hours a day because all of these companies succeeding, it's like having four children. You care about them equally the most. I don't have a favorite, yeah. right? Um, Sombrero was a company or is a company that there's about a two and a half year history dealing with communities, establishing a profile in a part of Peru, which is what's capitalizing on an opportunity that was never realized by previous people. But my involvement there is quite integrated. And for me to leave, it would have been the most disruptive. Mm. Um, it, it certainly has a, a factor of confidence on the potential. That's third party recognize and recognize internally. But I would argue per company, if you challenge me to compare them to Sombrero, I would say each one measures up equally for different reasons, right? Um, so when, you ex- when you explore for gold or silver, the erratic nature of how gold or silver is found or how it sits in the rocks is a higher risk than a copper gold asset where you can walk on copper in the case of sombrero 12 kilometers of copper and then you just drill underneath what you walked on and you generally get what you what you're walking on it's very homogenous and it's it's more of a disseminated easier target to find that's you know not as variable as gold which can be in veins that twist and turn are more harder to find now the reward of big copper, the reward of big gold and silver, they're all rewards that we strive for, or I strive for, as long as the word big is involved, as long as there's a size component that would be world-class. You touched on a conversation we had briefly before this podcast about the demand for base metals. And this makes copper as appealing as gold or silver on its best day. If you double the popula- or the actual use or population of electric vehicles today from 4% approximately to 8%, there is no copper left in any mine that's producing in the world today. Right. And, the project- and the projection is that we're going to more than double it by 2030. And you're hearing a lot about governments ruling out the combustible engine and whatnot. Um, silver is heavily used in electric cars as well. Um, why isn't the price higher? Well, coppers come from 50 cents to $4 and change per pound. Um, If you put on additional demands, such as the green energy bill in the US for 3.5 trillion to rebuild a lot of infrastructure that's getting dated to keep up with the electrification that the planet's going to go through, you know, that copper demand number goes even further. Mm -hmm. Now, there is a lot of dormant copper mines that are too low grade to survive at these metrics, and they will come online later. And that's always the rebuttal to that extreme demand. You can get a lot of these mines built. The only counter argument to that is low grade copper mines do not give you as much tonnage as you need. It's not all equal. So so there's going to be a good copper market. The price of copper, I think, in my lifetime, 
I'm in my early 40s, call it 44, whatever that is. Um, I think the price of copper will be over $20 a pound in my lifetime, which would be exponentially rewarding if you have a valuable high-grade copper asset or any kind of copper mm-hmm. asset that can get built. In terms of gold and silver, I mean, gold is the most emotional metal on the planet and silver has a leverage proponent to gold, meaning yes. it can outperform gold with the leverage of price performance. They're talking about $100 silver an ounce. That would mean it goes up base basically 5X from where it is today. Um, in terms of gold, you know, it could go to three or four or 5,000. I've heard even crazier numbers like 10 or $15,000 an ounce. And I actually now see how that could occur, not permanently, but in short-term waves. And the one thing I've learned about the metals business, specifically precious metals, is it's, it turns on a dime. Like mm. last summer is a great example. Our company was at a dollar Canadian, 80 cents Canadian. Gold was in the dumps. It was, you know, probably around 1700 1600 Gold shot up to $2,072 an ounce. And we went to 360 per share, basically in a two-month period. without much being new, but the emotion and the sentiment towards mining went through the roof. That's the market we think is coming on a prolonged basis. We think if there is a big debt crash or a debt bubble that bursts, we think that it's going to really, really impact the gold and positively post-crash. And I think we're going to see a lot of what we saw from 2009 to 2011 in the gold market, which was the best performing era ever for gold since the 70s when gold went to 850 an ounce you know inflation adjusted that was a remarkable price that it moved absolutely yeah i mean that's that's pretty awesome and and the demand as well as the volatility and 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 craziness in the market could do that in fact putting on your your investor's hat um Certainly, a lot of commentators are feeling that the market has become completely untethered from reality. So how do investors manage risk in a situation like this? That's a great question. And how do you choose your investment? Well, risk management for me is, and my positions are very public, and they're very, very clear. I have large positions in each metal, copper, gold, and silver. And I know these are companies that are all run by me and my partners, and there's a bias there, but I invest where I know the most about what's going on with the companies, right? So if I was to invest as an outsider and pick investments to go and put capital into to mitigate risk, I would just make sure I own a silver company, a gold company, a copper company, and I would expect a mixed return over time but all of them to do extremely well. And what I mean by mixed is I think copper stocks have done extremely well, the bigger copper producers as of lately. And I think that at the same time, gold stocks are out of flavor, but they're going to perform when gold performs here in due course and they'll take over the performance. I think you're going to have silver, very similar to gold. You can go down to nickel. Nickel is also a metal of massive consequence and massive demand. You can't really go wrong right now buying our sector. Your risk is very low as long as your timeline is very real, meaning I would give things a 12 to 24 month window to really start to see those big returns. And I'll give you one more statistic that's pretty fascinating about our sector for all the people that are doing so well in the Dow and cryptos and whatnot, gold companies like Barrick and, and, and Newmont and Ignico Eagle, these companies 
are basically at record profit, record dividends ever, record cash flow they've ever had. And most of them are down 40% in the last 12 months, which is such a strong contrarian buy signal. The sector is grossly oversold. And for all the natural resource investors that are listening to me say this and cringe and get angry because it's been said for some time because we've all suffered it for too long. It's been 10 months of a slide in our sector. You know, just relive last summer for two minutes and remember how robust and what kind of returns you saw. Remember how inexplicable the upside was and how rewarding it was. I think that, you know, you just have to swallow a very heavy pill of patience. You have to swallow that. And, you know, if you're going to choose people to invest into, and when our market turns positive, everybody sounds the same. Look at the report card. You know, what has the company done before? You know, have they gone to $9 per share before like we have? Have they sold a company at a profit to a major that went up afterwards like we have? I'm not saying we're the best by far, but we've seen all aspects of success. We've also seen challenges and we haven't had failures because we've never quit on a company we've started. You know, and if I was to look at four new companies to spread my capital around consequentially, meaning large checks and buying large positions, my first question to the CEO would be, what have you done before? And I'd still take a chance on new people based on if I like the story, but I'd really weigh my investment over people that have done it before, which doesn't guarantee success or timing of success. It just guarantees that whatever the business plan is, it has been executed successfully before. There is enough knowledge and experience to intelligently plan and budget and weather the tough storms and make the right moves when things turn extremely positive. If we suffer in our share price and it's down, you know, call it 50% in the last 12 months, say Fury Gold Mines, one of our companies, if that company, which started at $2 a share now is at 80 or so cents a share, if it ends up being a $20 share price in year three of its birth last October, was it worth it or not? And a lot of people have drawn early conviction and have left it. And in my mindset, I always know more, I'm the chairman and, and co-founder, but I always know more than the average investor does. And I haven't sold a share and I plan to buy a lot more, but discovery takes time. And the teams that are doing it, that we are working with are second to none. And it takes time to make a bigger discovery it takes even longer but time spent by smart people, in my experience, eventually leads to great success. I think the fact that we are leading towards a robust metals market, it gets me even more excited where my actual goals and targets of return on investment, I think they will be passed. And you go back to, yeah, you go back to markets where you've bought something, you sold everything, and then the stock doubles after you sold it. That's where I think we are in front of, not just with our companies, but as an industry as a whole, everybody who owns natural resource stocks is going to sell them early and they're going to go up a lot more than they thought. Um, You and I talked about population being a big difference from the 90s to now. We've almost doubled the world's global population, you know, and that's significant when you look at how small of our industry is, it's yeah. it's like one cryptocurrency for the entire industry, right? Or one tech company. Imagine when the whole world wakes up and decides to buy resource stocks. And 
they will need to because of the shortage of metals that's coming in all markets. Yeah, I've got to invest in in those markets. And as long as you're a longer-term patient investor, and as you suggest, go with those who've experienced significant challenges in the past and found the techniques and secrets to to overcome those so that they can actually potentially repeat in the future, then there is the opportunity to to make significant upside, both for the companies and just the success over time. But stick with it is obviously a big part of the secret. So the the mining industry, I mean, thinking about it, it's feeding the green um, technology and, and the new inventions that we're having. But historically, mining has never been very environmentally friendly. Is, are things changing or is the, the, um, progress moving too fast in the mines that they, they're forced to stick with old methodology for the moment? Actually, there has been a massive movement between all the miners and specifically precious metals. I think Barrick was out there today saying it. Um, there's been a massive movement to get to zero emission mines. And the amount of effort that I'm seeing, and I, and I have a relationship with most of the largest mining companies because of the appeal of assets and the same goals to go find big things, they have made such a massive effort towards creating a greener mining environment the social aspect of how they impact people has been dramatically improved. You hear a lot less about mining disasters, about social imbalances, and you see a lot more focus towards that, you know, shared success and positive impact in many people. I'm not saying mining is perfect, but the movement's been dramatic. It's been actually, in my opinion, it's actually on par with everything that's not behind at all. They're actually probably ahead of it. And it's so great to hear that because, um, you know, in the first mine we found, there was 8,000 people that were going to be impacted by this mine, right? Mm. And the environmental aspect of it was not difficult to make sure, you know, we were very careful with how we built that mine and what we're going to impact with it. And so I don't think there's any negative impact there whatsoever, but the social impact of 8,000 people in Africa around a gold mine being found, it's pretty compelling. I'll give you a brief yeah. story. We walked in there, people got paid $4 a day. That was the average salary of the person mm-hmm. in the area. And I came in, you know, fairly naive at the time and said, look, give them $8 a day, give them $10 a day. And, uh, you know, that's nothing to us. We can finance that no problem. You know, that's very inexpensive. And the chiefs of the villages came back to us and said, no, no, no. If you give them that much, nobody's going to farm. Nobody's going to, you know, have schools. They're going to teach. Nobody's going to do this. They're going to start drinking alcohol and developing Western habits, like gambling and drinking and all these things. And they stopped us at about $5.50 or $6 per day. They wouldn't let us go higher. We respected that. But that kind of knowledge and respect and communication, it really educated on on how you don't just throw money at things because you're going to make money to get money. Money doesn't solve problems. It, It actually creates more than it solves. But now in Peru, where we're doing massive programs, we're doing about $4 million worth of agricultural programs in the Andes, where towns are short of iron. They don't have much red meat at the elevation. 
We are doing these in conjunction with the government where we're designing the program, the government's funding it. And not outside of the jobs it creates, there's going to be 50 years of French cows, Australian lambs we're bringing in, fish farms, all kinds of nourishment that's going to benefit these communities forever. And whether we find a mine or not, which is very odd for a group to be this advanced with it prior to finding the mine, we think it's Mm -hmm. there, the confidence is high, but that impact to know that you have at least five decades of positive impact from your presence, whether you find a mine or not. I mean, that's, I'm equally proud to that, to taking a a stock up to 20 or $30 a share if if that ends up being the result. So we are more responsible as an industry. I think there's a gap in parts of the world and how much the local people get from the mines financially. Right. I'm all in favor of supporting that number going up, but it has to be managed because a lot of these communities are quite rural. And again, to my point earlier, throwing money at people, you know, it doesn't build things, it creates problems, it gets spent, but involving people to build things with the money you give them together cooperatively creates a sustainable long-lasting impression so the mining industry is more important the mining industry respected the environment as much as it can it's doing its most and going forward it's no longer the big miner with profits it's how do we make this a greener planet and also supply the metals needed to impact the greener planet so it's been really positive to see the big shift Absolutely. That's that's really exciting to hear that there is such a big initiative and move in the direction of the environmental and social and, and governance side in addition to, to to benefiting the company, the shareholders, etc. I mean, I speak from personal experience. I I grew up in Africa and worked extensively through Africa once I had qualified. And unfortunately, um, in too many cases, the so-called first world countries were a- attempting to assist the, the countries in Africa and were handing out cash. And unfortunately, it is so short-sighted because it's so much easier to provide the fish than to teach the man to fish. It has a longer-term impact, and some of those countries were quite frankly destroyed because people were just harvesting the natural resources, not replacing, not learning to further their future generations and benefit them. So it's really exciting that you're involved in projects and working with the communities rather than just mining per se within the country, which benefits them from a tax perspective, some some salaries and, and stuff. But um, yeah, that, that truly is exciting. So. It's easy to it's easy to appeal to greed in human nature, right? It's easy to go out there and wave around a big chunk of cash in front of people that don't know any better except for to ask for the cash and and that draws corruption and all kinds of great things that we don't want to see happen. But you know, it's kind of fascinating as an explorationist to be this engaged as we are as a group uh, in, in the First Nations in Canada or in you know. Peru in the Andean communities or Chile to care this much as a group and be so focused on the ESG as an explorer where you set this tone for the future mine. You know, I think all, all the communities that were around 
are really fortunate, and, and I'm not saying this to be lopsided, it's their best interest, but they're fortunate that we're as focused on it. And I think most people are, but you know, for us, it's a passion internally that we have. And I'll be honest, I think back to the first mine we found in Ghana, in Keegan, and to this day, if you and I went there tomorrow to go visit it, I think, you know, we would be welcome with, I know we would be welcome with open arms and impact has been very positive. And so I think the last point I'll make on that is when you go there to these countries and you spend some time and when you listen, you get to hear what their real challenges are. And we're all, we're all social warriors to a degree, meaning we all have opinions on everything from COVID to politics to all of the above. But when you become a very impactful proponent of a community or communities where you're doing business, there's no, there's no opinion, there's fact, and you're going to factually affect them. So, you know, for me, it's something that I draw the line at 50-50 in terms of financial success, massive shareholder, want my shareholders to thrive. That's how I win. But the other 50% is I want to be able to look back for decades to come. I want my children and grandchildren to be very proud and every investor to be proud that the people were looked after where we benefited or didn't benefit, but we were able to use their land to go and try and find these mines, which is, you know, basically their land that were in their backyard, right? So big proponent, huge advocate for that. And um, and really happy we have such a big focus on it. Absolutely. It's probably a whole bunch of fun as well for your team to actually learn so much more about these these um, cultures that you are participating in. In fact, talking COVID, it must have been pretty hard to be raising financing and, and running public companies through a pandemic. Um, did it have a big impact on you? It's having a huge impact, not just on us, but on the industry. And, and this is where the current sentiment, opportunity, the oversold market, the low valuations play a massive role in the exploration sector, the smaller companies, right? We live by our draw results and frequency of news, just like any investment, right? Yeah. Investors will get bored and they will leave if they don't constantly see results on the return on investment improving, right? So right now, just before this call, we've gone from 70 days to get an assay result from drilling a hole to 80 days. This is Canadian Ooh. Assay Lab, ALS. And you can push and do as much as you want. What they're dealing with was our Canadian government uh, during COVID, they gave out the CERB checks and um, that, that has put a lot of people at home yeah. in front of the, you know, doing other things versus being covered by, by sample dust of the, the people who sent, prepare your sample for getting the assay back, right? Yeah. So the assay companies saw COVID like every other business owner did not know what the impact was going to be and is reluctant to overstaff and inflate and charge us more and pay more because they don't know if they're going to be shut down again. And when they get shut down, they have a business to run. They have to make sure that there's enough business. There's not too many employees at the same time. So now they're facing labor shortages due to people getting government assistance that would normally be out there helping with these processes. So they can't hire the people and they're reluctant to pay more double the wage to bring people in. But, you know, I recently was traveling through the US. I was in Napa Valley at a music festival with my wife. 
And I saw a for hire sign on every storefront in Napa almost. And uh, then I've seen it. I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona, Phoenix right now. There's so much for hire help wanted on more of the, the uh, store retailers. Uh, I've seen on a McDonald's billboard, $30 an hour being advertised to pay wow. people to work there. Uh, I think that was in California, just north, south of Napa. And all I'm saying here is that the inflation proponent is going to be the way we solve these challenges we're having. But back to COVID, you know, we all abide by the rules. I've actually had COVID twice. And uh, so I have, I've seen a mild version. Disaster. And, uh, yeah, I've seen a serious version and then I had the luxury of, of getting a vaccine and, and having a, a very bad vaccine reaction too. But my point is this, we're in a new world. Business is changing. Um, my wife went to Target today. All the shelves are clear. You cannot get it. Everything's been cleared off. The wow. containers coming from China are not coming at the same rate they did before. Um, a pet food company, big one in the US, executive said the other day, he's a shareholder. He said that um, there was... Uh, used to be $800 per container to ship into the U.S. It's now $30,000 to ship that same wow, container. that's scary. A year and a half later. So expect prices to skyrocket. Expect inflation to be real. I'm making the case for gold, but COVID's impact, you saw it last year with gold of what happened when COVID hit. Gold skyrocketed. Gold investments became very, very, very key. In the case of now, I think there's a second wave of COVID-impacted industries. I think ours has delays in getting news out. How do you fix that? You know, obviously, eventually you offer more to try and get people to work right. and or they have to build safer environments if safety is a concern. And so everything is going to cost more and we'd pay it to get the faster return on results. Yeah. The only way we see to mitigate long assay times is to use more drills at once and that will give you more assays coming. And so we've done that and we have a lot of holes pending, but you have to plan differently. And the cost of running an exploration company is huge. You know, you're, you're spending a lot of money employing people without getting results. And so industry-wide, we've seen a lot of companies run out of money or get into that stage of no news. And that's created a bigger oversell or discount in, in these companies and less discovery, which made the industry less appealing. So I think that that is something that really came out of COVID for us. I think we're not out of the woods yet, but I think that, you know, we've made our adjustments so that we could have a lot of news flow because we do work differently. We're more yes. dense when we work to create more news flow when it's coming to capitalize on what's missing, which is constant news. The second thing is we're managing budgets differently. So our capital lasts longer and we're making sure we don't overspend without getting results. Thirdly, you know, I think as a whole, I don't mind the pain we're in today as an industry, as our share prices. I don't like it, but I don't mind it because I think the springboard into inflation and gold behaving the way we saw a week or two ago with the Evergrande thing, I, I think we're out for a massive bull market in gold stocks. And I think that, you know, eventually there'll either be more assay labs created that will help yeah. deal with this, or people are going to get paid more to do it. Eventually, we're going to sort it. There's a lot of different ideas going on, and I think it'll time well. And hopefully, the rate of discovery goes up. And in one sense, 
It benefits us that no one's finding anything because if we find it, you're going to get paid really well for finding it. On the other sense, we need some discoveries to keep the industry interesting. And the last point I'll make uh, for you here, Nola, is just how do you know when the gold market's going to turn positive? It might have been one of your questions on the list. Um, We look for consolidation at the top of the industry and at the bottom. And the other day, Agnico Eagle was involved in uh, the merger with Kirkland Lake, two exact same size companies, both around $16 billion market cap, I believe, created a $32 billion company. And that is about as big as it gets in our industry besides when Newmont bought Goldcorp. And so the first the first M&A, the first transaction of consolidation has taken place. We'd like to see some mid-sized ones. It will free up capital to reinvest for existing natural resource investors. And I think this is going to couple extremely well with the outlook on metal prices and global debt and all of the natural factors that are going towards a better market. And lastly, you know, as far as the base metal world goes in terms of energy metals and all the metals needed, you know, this is just the tip of the iceberg of demand that's going to come. And we're now getting into a competitive electric car market versus just Tesla as the main one. Every single car company is pushing electric and that demand curve for battery metals is going to go through the roof. So metals and mining is, is on a decade long secular bear market or bull market, you could call it going towards. And we've had some small windows of success, but I think we're in store for a decade or, or possibly multi-decade different natural resource and market where you know returns will be better. The only thing that is going to be challenging for every investor out there is which company do you invest into, who's going to find it and who's not going to find it. Um, you know, we have a lot of money spent. We have five and a half years of looking behind us in terms of fresh experience and learning. And we've learned more and we've gotten closer by report card on each of our companies. And from that perspective, time and money spent is a very valuable thing to invest into because you don't have to wait five more years for us to go get to where we are today. Right. And so that's kind of the fascinating thing about timing and how critical it is. COVID is long-term positive, short-term, very negative for our sector. We're at the end stages of that. And uh, in general, the world needs more metal and we are geared up to go find that metal. That's fantastic. Actually sounds like a, like an awesome positive note to end on. Um, how can listeners contact you if they'd like to have some further conversations and obviously learn so much more about the companies? Sure. Um, well, my email is quite simple and um, it's Ivan at any of my company's domains.com. Ivan at furygoldmines.com, Ivan at torqueresources.com, Ivan at tier1silver.com, or Ivan at sombrero-resources.com. Also, I'm on LinkedIn, just Ivan Bebek, B E B E K is my last name. I love interacting with shareholders, with investors. I'm fascinated by about the timing of our industry and the opportunities in front of us. And I'm also most fascinated about the world events that we're going through. And as a very prudent long-term investor, you know, I, I do take a large fascination towards macro pictures and capital positioning over cycles. And so if you want to hear more, I promise you I'll be optimistic. 
and I'll be quite informed with a lot of it, uh, particularly around the mining investment and exploration investment part of the business. That's awesome. And thank you very much. And I will definitely put all of those addresses on the show notes page so that people can track them down with ease. Thanks very much for joining us today. This was an absolutely fascinating and indeed very topical and, um, you know, optimistic conversation to know that uh, there's so much positive happening in the industry as well as the future certainly sounds to be incredibly bright in all of these base minerals. Well, thank you so much for having me and the opposite reaction to that is usually the springboard into that positivity that you're hearing. I think this is the first time I can really exude that optimism across the sector so obviously because of where we are in the curve of our cycle. And I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about discovery and, uh, and getting close to discovery is, is obviously going to come out each time I talk. But thank you so much. Those were great topics. I love talking about them. And uh, thank you all the listeners who listen to the podcast. Really appreciate it. Fantastic. Enjoy the rest of the day. You as well. Thank you. The Unlocking Business Growth Podcast is sponsored by Protea Consulting Professional Corporation. We help our clients translate their operating and accounting data into the strategy for business growth they're truly capable of. Subscribe to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify to hear from other companies that have overcome growth challenges. Get a free copy of NOLA's latest book, The 5F Strategy, Bottom Line Growth in Any Economy, without additional sales and marketing and download the financial growth scorecard at proteaconsulting.ca. Work with us to achieve your business potential. To find out if we're a fit for your business, email info at proteaconsulting.ca and follow the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook.